With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Reality radio for a really great future. We're talking real money. Another day, another podcast. Hi, Don here, talking real money. Glad you're there. Thanks for listening. And again, please tell people about the podcast because we like the company, the more the merrier. And call us with your questions at 855-935-TALK or send them in at TalkingRealMoney.com. You can even speak them in at TalkingRealMoney.com. Today, I want to address my initial message to those of you in the financial services industry, those of you who provide financial advice. You call yourselves financial advisors. You know who you are. I know some of you listen, although I know that uh, others just hate me like the plague. (laughs) But that's okay. I want to address this to you and obliquely to your clients, but mainly to you. Because people ask me, well, why do you hate stockbrokers and insurance agents who sell financial products so much? Well, I don't hate the people. I hate their actions or their lack thereof. So let's talk about what you do. You have a client who comes in and wants financial advice. They want to know how to invest their money so that they can enjoy the best possible future. I don't care if you're a stock jockey or a uh, an insurance salesperson, you should care more about them than you do about you. Doesn't that seem reasonable? Now, I know your firms have led you to believe that you're a good person and you only care about them. But the reality is you can't possibly if you constantly lie to them. You have to tell the truth to your clients and you don't do it. Here's how I know that. You're working for a firm that sells a lot of mutual funds. Now, the mutual funds you have to offer, of course, because this is how you're compensated, are all commissioned mutual funds. So either you're looking at five, five and three quarter percent loads up front, upfront fees that reduce the amount of money your client has invested, or you're looking at some semblance of a liar load fund. That's what I like to call them. A fund that allows you not to tell the person and keeps them from seeing immediately a $500 deduction from their $10,000 investment. And those are called B and C shares. They're both bad, but you tend to take the path of least resistance because it requires less explaining on your part, and you know what you do. You sell them C shares, right? Right. How many times have you told people that C shares have an extra 1% 
per year fee that does nothing but pay back the commission the mutual fund company paid to you. How many times have you actually spoken those words to your client? Well, let's say you're an A-share salesperson. You believe that you deserve your commission, and and I hope you do because you do a lot of great work for your client. You don't just uh, churn them and burn them. You, 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 You help them build the right portfolio for their needs and risk tolerance. You monitor it regularly. Okay, hey, you may be earning your commission. But how many of you told your client on day one when you started putting that portfolio together, hey, those American funds you're getting, those have a five and three quarter percent load going in. Or even better, how many of you have told your client, oh, oh, we don't want to go in those uh, those Invesco funds. We don't want to go in those Franklin funds. No, 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 because you have $110,000. We should go all American funds because I can get you breakpoints to where you don't pay a commission. Now, I understand you as the broker are going to get a lower commission from American funds, but isn't it the right thing to do to tell your client that they could save a lot of money by not spreading it among different mutual fund companies and ending up paying five or five and three quarter percent commissions to you up front? Is it more about you making your money or them making money? Are you always, always impeccably honest and wholly transparent with your clients? Are you? If you are, congratulations. You're one of the good ones. I bet you there aren't many of you. Now, if you're a client, what I'd like you to do is something you probably have never done. Go to your statements and look at the class of your mutual funds. If you don't know, call your broker or your advisor and ask them, do you have A shares? If so, you paid an upfront commission. Unless you got breakpoints where you might not have. Do you have B shares? Well, you paid a huge 12B1 fee in addition to the expenses for managing the fund for many years. Now, the good news with B shares is that after a period of time, they convert to A shares and that extra fee goes away. Ah, but do you have C shares? You know, C can stand for a lot of words like crud or, yeah, you know, uh, just, just, just use one of those words. And when you look at your C shares, think back, did my advising person tell me that I would be paying an extra 1% per year over and above the fees and expenses of the funds themselves? That my total fees and expenses could be as high as 2% per year? Did they tell me that? And then think about Vanguard or Fidelity or Schwab index funds with fees and expenses at or below two-tenths of 1% or 10% of what you're paying for the C-shares. So do you see where I get my less than positive opinion of most of the people who peddle financial products out there? I have really, I mean, I, I have been giving advice to people about money on the radio since 1988. 
Many of you have not been alive that long. And in that time, I've taken tens of thousands of calls, answered thousands of emails, published a newsletter. Never once have I had a broker's client call me and say, yeah, my broker was totally upfront with all the fees and expenses. They told me I was paying this big load and or I was paying these high fees. They told me all about it, but they've done such a great job managing my money. I think they deserve a pat on the back. Never, not once, not once. So if you're in the business and you're not telling your clients everything, you need to get out of the business because I'm going to keep after you for as long as I exist. If you want to be in the business and you want to do it honestly, become a fee-only advisor. You may not make as much money. But I can assure you that as one who used to be a commissioned broker, you will sleep better at night and you will feel better about what you do for people. And by the way, if you're any good at this, you'll make a darn good living. We're going to take some questions now. We've got a lineup of called-in questions at 855-935-TALK. You can also send questions in at TalkingRealMoney.com or speak them there. And uh, let's take this one first. Hi, my name is June, and I have a question. I have a rental house that I've had for about 22 years, and I'm going to sell it. Should I just pay the capital tax gain on the house? Or should I um, do a 1031 for the house and purchase another investment property? I'm close to retirement age, so I'm 62, and um, I plan on working, I'm still working full-time, and I plan on retiring at 64. Thanks. Bye. Well, when it comes to investments of any kind, including investment property, capital gains are part of the price. Good news is capital gains rates are lower than income tax rates, so it's not as painful, but you made money. That's what you have to remember. The only time I would even consider doing a 1031 exchange into another like-kind investment property is if this was my business and it was something I absolutely loved doing. It wasn't just a whimsical thing where I thought I might make a couple of bucks on real estate. Investing in individual properties is a job. And if it's a job you no longer want to have, then pay the taxes. It's just part of the cost of doing business. And the other nice thing about doing that is that I, I don't know what percentage of your assets is tied up in real estate, but it's probably pretty substantial. And coming into retirement, it's nice to have greater diversification and a high level of liquidity. And the good news right now is you're selling into one of the crazier markets in 15 years. So, uh, I, I, if it was me, I'd be selling. If you want to stay in real estate, then you can go through the complex process of a 1031 exchange, but I would have low expectations for the future. 855-935-TALK is our phone number. 855-935-8255. And let's head back to the phones. Hey, Tom and Don. I hope you guys are well. Uh, this is Kevin coming from the uh, suburbs of Chicago. 
Uh, Don, I heard you on the Stacking Benjamin show last year, and I've been binging this podcast since. You guys do a, a great job. I wanted to run a question or two past you. Um, for the most part, I've been managing my own portfolio for several years, but last year I did meet with a uh, local fee-only advisor. Overall, I had an absolutely outstanding experience with them, and I think you guys would have agreed with about 95% of the advice. Uh, they recommended a, a diversified portfolio with low-cost funds and ETFs. Uh, the asset allocation got me exposure to domestic, international, small cap value, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the part I'm a bit unsure about is their fixed income allocation. Historically, I have always used the Fidelity U.S. to Bond, U.S. Bond Index, the ticker symbol FXNAX. Uh, but it was recommended that I move to a, a couple actively managed funds. Uh, the two they recommended were Osterwise Strategic Income Fund, ticker symbol OSTIX, as well as the Performance Trust Strategic Bond Fund, uh, ticker symbol PTIAX. Uh, both have not out-of-this-world expense ratios, but still much higher than what I typically deal with. Uh, generally, I wouldn't put much consideration into this recommendation, but like I said, I had a really great experience with this advisor, so uh, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, mind if I grabbed a couple thoughts from you guys on this recommendation? Uh, appreciate everything you guys do. Thanks for everything. Uh, I truly dread the day this day uh, uh, this podcast ends. So thank you. Well, thanks for listening, Kevin. Thanks for coming over from Stacking. Uh, just to let you know, by the way, all of you Stacking fans, or those of you who haven't listened to Stacking Benjamins, it's fun, and I enjoy doing it with uh, Joe Saul Sihai. He's terrific. And uh, I was on today's episode of Stacking Benjamins, that being Friday the 18th of June. So you can go listen to me on Stacking, too. And I'll be on again, I think, sometime in July. But thanks for coming over. Let's talk about this. Well, you went to a fee-only advisor and you had a great experience. That's awesome. I'm thrilled. You should. And it sounds like they did a great job, except they are succumbing to the pressure that many financial advisors feel from their clients. I can see it in those two fixed income funds that they suggested. They're stretching for yield to make their clients happy. And the reality is bonds aren't, at least in our opinion and the opinion of many academics, they are not meant to be money makers in your portfolio. They're meant to be money keepers. And this Osterweiss strategic income and the Performance Trust strategic bond fund are really expensive. You may think those expenses aren't high, but for a bond fund, eight-tenths of one percent for the performance fund, and what is it, almost nine-tenths of a percent for the Osterweiss fund? That's ridiculous. Because think about this for a second. Bonds are yielding, nice, safe, short-intermediate bonds are yielding about one percent or so. You know, there may be one to two, depending on when you're listening to this. If you charge an expense ratio of nine-tenths of one percent on a one percent bond, how much is left for your clients? See? You have to take greater risk, do dumber things, put your clients ultimately at risk, and they do it in two different ways. 
Osterweiss does it through really bad bonds and some very dangerous, I, I think, dangerous strategies. Uh, and it's actively managed. They're trying to predict the future, which is a fool's game. They've got, let me pull it back up here in their portfolio. I just got off that page. They keep about 40, 40, 60, 78, about, oh my gosh, about 90% in junk bonds. Those are risky. Those are stock market risky. Stock market risky. Now, they are of low duration, so they're turning the portfolio over a lot, but that can be expensive too. The performance trust is long duration, and this is another area where we don't believe you should be invested. When we, we, want, we want to trade risk and return, sure, but we, we don't want to take dumb risk. And dumb risk is buying long maturity bonds because they're incredibly volatile. The whole point is trying to reduce volatility overall. And, and we don't believe in ever using active management because we believe that active management can't in aggregate win, and the math bears that out. And by the way, it's not like these funds have done all that great. Many years, like 2019, the Osterweiss un underperformed its category by over 7% in a year. The, uh, the, the, the strategic underperformed the index in several years over the past decade. Well, so did the, uh, the, the Osterweiss. So, no, I, I wouldn't mind working with this advisor, but I would tell them that, that you will not work with them unless they use bond index funds of short to intermediate security uh, maturity for that portion of your portfolio that needs to be in bonds, that you are totally opposed to active management. Otherwise, find another fee-only advisor. Thanks for the call. Thanks for listening. And let's just do one more. Hey, Don and Tom. This is Vince from Chicago. So first off, I do like the robot voices. I have no issue with them. I, I think it's great. It adds a nice variety to the show. So I'm sorry I didn't call in and tell you that when you were asking about it earlier. My question is this. Risk quiz number. So, I mean, I've taken the quiz. I got a 62. But what does that mean? Does that mean I should have 62% of my investments in equities? Does that mean that um, I, I just don't know exactly what that number is telling me? And I hear you tell people to take the quiz over and over and over again. But I, I need a reference point. I need to know what does that make me want to do now that I know the number. Uh, love you guys. Uh, been listening for about a year now and um and i really enjoy the you and merriman podcast so keep on bringing us the good stuff yeah that is a great question what is the baseline what is that what what is that number telling you i wish it was directly related to what kind of portfolio you should have but it's not we had to do that independently because we get these this quiz from another company that made it based on a bunch of uh, academic research. But what we did do is if you look at your report, you should have gotten a multi-page report after you took your risk quiz. On the first page, it has your risk tolerance score and your risk tolerance group. 
And at a 62, you're in a decent risk tolerance group. You're in group four. And uh, so you can, uh, you're, you're probably about a 60-40 portfolio guy. Maybe 70-30, but probably more like 60-40. But if you look below that uh, list of the questions, where it says, are my answers consistent? It's down at the bottom of that page. It says, connecting your score to a portfolio. And it will say, based on your risk tolerance, the matching portfolio is blank. 90-10, 80-20, 70-30, 60-40, whatever it might be. And then it says, however, before you com commit to any investment decision, you must consider other factors such as your goals and risk capacity, income, expenses, existing investments, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then you go, go to TalkingRealMoney.com. And uh, we got these three fund portfolios from Vanguard, Fidelity, or Schwab, and just build based on that. Half of your equity portion in domestic, half of your equity portion in international, and then the bond portion in the bond fund there. Simple, straightforward, and it's right there. It's on it. You just had to go, you had to read the fine print to get to it. It's down uh, about midway through the report, well, closer to the top part, but uh, it's it's in a paragraph called Connecting your score to a portfolio. Thank you for the call. Thank you for the comment on the robots. I'm going to keep using them just because it mixes things up. Thanks so much for being a part of the podcast. Again, telling people is so great. It really does help build the podcast. And to that end, I, I was just looking on a, on a, a, a group that charts these podcasts. And we are in the top 100 of all investing podcasts nationwide. But our goal, our goal is to break into the top 50. And we are, well, this past week, we were like number 75, which was good because we, we passed Rick Edelman, which was my goal. But I want to go way past him. I want to get up there with Stacking Benjamins. They're like number 32. So help us out. Spread the word. Tell people about the podcast Every time you run into somebody and there's any kind of a conversation about money, just tell them, listen to Talking Real Money on your favorite podcast service. And if you really like what you hear, go to Apple Podcasts. This is where all the reviews are. I know you're on another service. You don't want to go to Apple. You just open an Apple account. It's not going to cost you anything. And you can leave a review there. We appreciate it very, very much. And again, listen to me on the Stacking Benjamins podcast I was on today the 18th of June, and uh, I'll be on again, I think, in July. Thank you so much for being there. Take good care of yourselves. I'm Don McDonald, just hanging out, talking real money. Talking real money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for educational and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately, consistently predict the future. So, past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Vestry, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. Are we done now?